0: Thank you for coming back to listen to the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. I am your host, Deb Maisner, and today is a special episode with my brother, and I just wanted to record this intro to give you a little bit of background about our lives and, and just give you some context into the story that my brother Chris has to tell. So we are a family of five. My parents got married. They actually eloped the day after my mom turned 18, and then they had three kids by the time my mom was 21. So super young, married, beautiful people. They are still married to this day, which is pretty amazing, all things considered. And so in our family, there's my oldest brother, Chris, who is four years older than me, and then my sister, Becky. Who is two years older than me, and then I'm the youngest. (laughs) Which, if you know me, you'd be like, yeah, she's the youngest. So, a really tight, tight sibling group, basically. And we all grew up in Idaho. We were born in Lewiston, Idaho, which is just a paper mill town, small town in Idaho. And then we moved up to Moscow, Idaho, so that my mom could go to graduate school for counseling and psychology. And my parents opened a restaurant there. And all three of us kids grew up working in the restaurant and just working really hard together, but also growing up in this college town, this party town where we all started drinking at very young ages. Well, I shouldn't say all because my brother started drinking very young. I started drinking very young. My brother and I, as you'll hear more about his story, went on to have more problems with drinking and just decide to take it out of our lives for good. My sister is one of those people that could take it or leave it. You know, she's one of those meh people about alcohol, which is is interesting we've had a lot of deep conversations about that with my brother we both just realized alcohol was taking more than it was giving and we both worked on our drinking for years and commiserated with each other for years about it he would take breaks and then i would take breaks and You know, I just happened to have my alcohol-free life stick earlier than his. He just celebrated one year alcohol-free in April. So I am super proud of him. I'm proud of him for sharing his story. He actually hadn't told the rest of the family or my sister that he had quit drinking. And I remember talking to my sister about it. And she was like, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know. She felt sad. She said it made her sad that... Chris and I had struggled with our drinking and hadn't talked about it and I just think that's so normal and I just told her well then we that's we did what we were supposed to do then like it, it's something that you don't uh, you don't talk about and you don't want other people around you to know that you are struggling or that this is your thing so I hope that Listening to my brother's story just gives you inspiration, just knowing that you are influencing people around you, whether you realize it or not. My brother and I both made it okay for each other to quit drinking. We normalized it for each other, and now, you know, I'm normalizing it for you as you're listening, and he's sharing his story and normalizing it for other people. So I wanna thank you for listening to the show. And without further ado, here is my episode with my beautiful older brother, Chris Shipley. Welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. I am your host, Deb Maisner, registered nurse, health coach, and alcohol-free badass. And today is a very special episode with my brother, Chris Shipley. He is an accountant, a father, a dad, and he is one-year alcohol-free. So congratulations and welcome to the show, Chris.
1: I'm a little sister.
0: Hi. <laughs> so you just had your one-year alcohol-free anniversary. What date was that?
1: I think it was, it was last year's Easter, and I think it was actually April. I think it was April 4th.
0: Okay, April fourth just yeah. go with it four four That's a good date yeah well i'm I'm so happy for you, and I'm so proud of you. I mean, I know that we have had our conversations about drinking for years. it seems like, and either you've kind of been on a break or I've been on a break, and now here we both are living alcohol free, but I haven't like heard your full story, like how it started so can you share just like what drinking was like for you
1: sure yeah you know at, at first it was really i had a pretty good relationship with drinking honestly i really enjoyed it and i remember alcohol being involved in my life really since being a little kid and hanging around and you know with him drinking beer after work drinking beer at softball And then as I got older and as we would hang out, you know, I'd be able to like, hey, can I have a beer? Sure. Uh, Or a drink. I guess it started with a drink of beer. And then later on, I got to have like a full beer, which is a big deal. And that looking back, it didn't seem harmful then. But now in this later stage of life, being a little more healthy, just kind of having clarity looking back. I can just see how alcohol is such a part of my my identity, of who I am and how I measured myself to be. And so we moved and also just, you know, as a young guy, my dad, my dad to me was Moses. He was the lawgiver. He was really cool and just like, this is this is it, you know, And he was. He was a cool dude. I mean, you know, he worked at a junkyard, <laughs> all the parts drove a pickup that he brought home on a wrecker. He had a motorcycle that he brought home one day, I still remember, and it was a XT-500. It was like black and silver. He would take me riding on that down to the Salmon River, and, you know, I mean, Dad was a badass. He was like, I want to be like Dad. And when we moved from Lewiston up into Moscow, that was sixth grade and junior high. So formidable years. And it was kind of a oasis, but that oasis was really punctuated with pretty good times with dad going hunting, going down to back to Lewiston, maybe to watch cousin play baseball. But each of those situations was also included alcohol and beer. So and you, it, to turned me,
0: so. This stuff, I don't know, really. Like, you were drinking beer with Dad when you were 12. Is that what
1: you're... Well, when I say drinking beer with Dad, it's like, hey, could I have a drink of your beer? Okay. Sure. And if I got to have a beer, it was a big deal. But it wasn't like, hey, no, don't don't be doing this. It was like, yeah. I mean, I still remember, like, crawling into the... Driving around with Dad. We had a split window in the back of the pickup. And I would crawl back in there and grab him a beer out of the cooler. And then when he would finish those, he would throw them over the hood of the rig. As we were driving, it would land in the back. Perfect. I go, I got you. And I'd go get him another one. And we would just have these great road trips. of Just tooling around in the woods, drinking beer, listening to music, talking. You know, our uncle would be there. And they'd just be telling these stories. I'd just be a kid just soaking this all in. And then as I got older and those times with dad got less and less, then you were really kind of like a night sky. So those were kind of like stars in, in a night sky. There was a lot of darkness, but also those times of hanging out, they were pretty bright. I really enjoyed that time. And there, it always evolved alcohol. And at that time. I was spending my summers on the Oregon coast with my grandfather and there would be a lot of drunks around and he would tell me it's like, look, this is, this is dangerous stuff. And to him, dangerous was hard alcohol. Beer was okay. Cause he didn't have a problem with drinking beer, but hard alcohol, you get the hard alcohol and it's just the downhill thrill. So I always. Equated alcohol again, it's not dangerous. It's okay. Look, I was a fairly decent student in high school and I worked hard, but also I hung out with older kids and we would after school go drink. And in junior high, sometimes we would drink during lunchtime. I just well, don't remember.
0: Yeah, did you <laughs> make your own home brew in junior high? Or was and that a I,
1: rumor? It was awful, but it'd get you drunk.
0: You did. You did make, like, moonshine. Yeah, of course. In, like, seventh grade.
1: Well, no. That would be ridiculous.
0: Eighth grade?
1: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it was ninth grade. Yeah, I don't... I wasn't driving at the time. But I kind of I viewed... Look, I was a good kid, but I also viewed... You know, kind of living on the outskirts of the lawn was kind of what you did. I rode my motorcycle to driver's ed.
0: So drinking to you, like when you were younger, was really tied to dad and and just being with, with, got, with the guys.
1: Exactly. Hey, I mean, I can still remember beer that I had after work. Like, I still remember like one of my best beers. It was a Coors Light, which is a terrible beer, by the way. But... I was with a friend of mine. We got done cutting a bunch of firewood. I mean, this is just shit I just like to do. I mean, I like to run a saw and cut firewood and just get, you know, if he told me that I would be a CPA, I'd be like, I kind of doubt it. <laughs> but anyway, so we cut, I don't know, three-quarter of firewood that day, not a terrible amount, but a, a decent amount of wood. And his dad was drinking a beer and he's like, all right, you guys want a beer? And this was like a big deal to him and I was like. I grew up drinking this stuff. Hell yeah, throw me one. He threw me a beer, caught it in my hand. I opened it up and I just buried that beer in two drinks. And it was just mixed with, with uh, the essence of sawdust, two-stroke oil, the salt from my sweat with this cold beer and it's just another dude, this other guy just handed me this beer. And he just looked at me. He's like, damn. It's like, well, all right. You're no ordinary kid. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm a guy who works hard and can and can drink and have a good time. And that was my relationship with alcohol for a long time. It was hanging out with friends, working hard. And then also, you know, I like to, let's not get it twisted. I had a good relationship with alcohol. It was fun. I, I would... I would drink and I would have a good time. Then it, it, got put on pause for just a little while. I, I, I got, I got, I got married. I quote unquote found religion. I was like, all right, I'm not going to drink anymore. And then, and then it just started kind of creeping back up, and it just started getting a little more and a little more and a little more. And it really wasn't like fun anymore and that's one thing I noticed it's like this isn't really fun and then I still kept doing it and so the same thing like if I'd go down and see dad in Boise like oh I would drink together and I'd have fun doing that but when I went out on my own I no longer was tethered to this responsibility that I had as far as getting up in the morning and going to work I could really tell Wait. myself
0: when you went out, you mean when you got your own business, when you opened? Is that what you're saying? When you?
1: Yeah, right. Yep. I did that like right before COVID. So, right before COVID hit a couple of years ago, I was like, I was going to go out on my own. I'm not by, by myself here, but I'm with a group of other CPAs. And <clears throat> so I no longer had this responsibility tying me down to go to somebody else. And I, I really, I really noticed the conversation in my head changing. And it was like, you know what, I'm free. I could do whatever I want to do. Like if I want to leave this afternoon, I can. In fact, I've worked pretty hard today already. I'm pretty sure I can go drink some beer. And I would tell myself when I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go to the gym, I'd work out, it was like, all right, if I could do 225, which is not like a lot of weight, it's just squats, you know, it was like, if I could do 225, I'm still okay. As soon as I can't start lifting anymore, then I probably should start toning down the drinking. And I just noticed this conversation in my head more and more because it wasn't much more than, I think it was like six or four years prior to that, I had actually some really good counseling because my marriage fell apart. But I actually got a hold of a really good counselor and she really helped me with, Listening to who I am and my inner dialogue of how I talk. And so there was a couple turning points where I'm like, man, my conversation is all around alcohol. That's how I'm identifying everything. And I would come home and I thought I'd be tired from work. I was tired because I was drinking. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then you started your journey. And honestly, I thought, I thought, well, we'll see how far this goes. like, like, all right. Because we had both started and stopped multiple times or slowed it down. I remember even talking to daddy. He's like, I had to drink a couple light beers. And I couldn't. I just couldn't, you know? And then that's when I realized that, you know, every once in a while, you know that recycling bin you got? Yeah. And it's like, damn, there's a lot of. This is just me here. You know, Heather doesn't drink that much. You know, my wife, she, you know, and, but I I really did. And it started to be where, you know, I'd be drinking at work. I was like, wait a minute. Nobody else here is. Occasionally they would have a beer, but not consistently like I would. And so it just came to a point where I started to make a decision to stop, which was around January. And I was like, this isn't happening. Continuing to make excuses. And that voice on my head is getting louder, a little more clear. And I know where this path is going to lead. I was like, I know where this is going to go. It's I want to be, i to be One of those people, I'm gonna be out of shape. I'm gonna look back and go like, I ain't done shit. I barely kept the business together. But you know that. Alcohol. What what's that what's that one that you, you told me to do? It wasn't alcohol anonymous, but it she had An the alcohol, alcohol experiment pre- Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple things when I went through that where the pennies just started to drop. And you know the old saying like, hey, when the student is ready, the master will appear. Oh, I, I think I because I heard all these things before, but I think at that time in my life, like I was ready to make a change. And then I think it's one day I decided, like, you know what, I'm I'm just doing it. And Easter just felt like a good breaking time because I was leaving to go down to Moscow. And I was like, OK, I can get if I can get through this weekend, I'll be OK. And I signed up for this thing at the gym, like I don't know, some spring thing. It was really I had no attention of going things that they had, but I thought I need to do something outside of myself that will be an outside basically it'll be an attestation to what I decided inside that is outside of me. Okay. So I went and signed up for that. I went to zero meetings. But for me, I knew it was important. So it was like a hundred bucks. So I put down a hundred bucks for this stupid thing, some weight loss contest. I did not care about that at all. And so I went through, I did that and I went my 15 days or 50. God, what was it? I can't remember now. It might have been a month. Anyway, I went through that bad boy, finished it up and I thought, I thought okay, I went through a month. I was like, I think I can keep doing this. And it wasn't easy, but I was able to do it. And I just noticed I still need a lot of those dopamine hitters.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I found myself comforting myself through food. Sometimes it's just being on the internet, you know. But slowly, it just kind of turned the curtain. I think once you get past that 30, 60, 90-day marker, you're like, you know, I think I could do this. And then I really wasn't looking at it as one year, I was just taking it simply, as they say, just one day at a time. Yeah. And it wasn't being mean at myself. It was, it was really because I made a decision that I was worth it and that knowing who I am is worth knowing and there's, there's a hope there. And I don't think I would have had that if I didn't have that prior counseling and just a lot of the other examples that I had around me, like a sister, you know, just some other people on podcasts, there were other examples of of guys. There's not a lot of guys out there that talk about this stuff, you know, there's a few, you kind of hear them on the side, like, oh, I don't drink, but it's not like what they, it's not their lead off conversation. It's like, hey, my name is Chris. I don't drink. You know, it, it's, it just really doesn't come up.
0: Well, you, you had talked about it being so tied to being a man, like it was tied to sports and hunting and working hard. And, and you earned it like at the end of the day, your hard work day, you know, just can you talk more about that? experience of of men and drinking
1: yeah sure i mean far as it relates to me it it was it was definitely a culture that that i grew that i grew up in and that i witnessed is that you know if you weren't drinking it was kind of like well what were you doing then like then you really were not part of the this club here you know you really didn't share in my experiences I really couldn't relate to some, honestly, I don't think I could really relate to somebody that didn't drink.
0: I I, know. I felt maybe, I feel like maybe I missed some friendships or opportunities because I was kind of the same. It was like my litmus test if someone could be my friend or not. Like, are you a drinker? Do you love to drink? Okay. We're cool. (laughs) Yeah. Growing up in Moscow, college town. A drinking culture was huge there. I mean, not just the just not just the men stuff, like just that culture, that high school we went to, you of I, working at our dad's restaurant, which was huge party culture. I mean, I just I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was, it just kind of permeated all around you. I mean, I remember talking to dad, he was closing down the restaurant and then when they were closing down the books, he'd always be drinking beer and just, I remember him like, I think I can't remember what mom wanted him to do. Maybe join some cult or something. I can't remember. Might've been the Mormon church. He's like, I ain't doing that. You want to tell somebody you can't drink some beer? And I was like, yeah, I know it. I was like, can you imagine not drinking beer? It was, un, it, it was like, like unfathomable, you know, I, I just, it, it, there's times when I think about this now, I, I, I haven't gone hunting in such a long time. When it comes around the fall, I think about it and not that I really want to go out and just, you know, put down an animal and skate it out, right. And survive off the land. But I do miss that going out side that. Mountain here, I, I'm just, I'm actually just reacquainting myself now with who I am in the outdoors without alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's a little bit different. And there's times where I have to just stop and pause and go like, this is, I just don't, this is weird. That not no, weird in a bizarre way. That's bad, but in a way that's like, I am experiencing this at a completely different level that I. At one time, kind of mocked. Mm. And, and and now I'm like, wow, this is, I can enjoy being outside, out alcohol. And, and one thing, too, that kind of Penny dropped on me, too, I remember in health class, Mr. Segoda and he, Somebody in that class asked a question and I had it in that same question. They said like, Hey, if alcohol is such a depressant, why would he drink this? He feels so dang good. And people are up and party and like woohooing it around. And it was one of those conversations in that alcohol experiment where it talked about that brain chemistry that you have, you put that depressant in, Hey man, your body's going to try to stay that homo, you know, homostasis. So it's going to kick up the feel-good feelings in those hormones. It's going to overcompensate. So you're going to have this collision, this confluence of depressant. You're kind of like, oh, this little bit of a melancholy, which I'm drawn to melancholy and the dark side. I am. I'm just, I'm interested in it. And then also you have to get that good feeling side of it too. Oh yeah. So you just kind of got this mysterious, good feeling. It's like a hug, you know? It's like, I feel good, but also mysteriously, I'm also just a little like, wow, hey, man, what's going on here? And I was walking in the park, and I realized, just taking a couple steps, it's like, hey, wait a minute. You know, all those good feelings, those were already in me. They can come out, you know, through exercise, the appreciation of good art, conversation, being around people who you love. You know, and so that's that's a surprise to me about not having alcohol. And and back to this idea of like examples of of being a man is like like whoa, like hey, you can you can do this. You can have these feelings without alcohol. You can have these relationships without alcohol. And and yeah, back to relationships, like oh. The only reason I had relationships with other people that didn't drink is that I happened to run into my freshman year of college. They wanted somebody to be in their dorm room that wasn't a stranger. They'd rather have me, who they knew through high school but never hung out with, than a complete stranger. So I hung out with dudes that didn't drink. And then later on, Rob, you know, we got a little trailer together on some of my dad's, you know, one of his pieces of property that he owned. And I lived, we lived together for, God, this sounds homoerotic here, but we lived together, but we did. We lived together for our whole entire career of college. And that was a big point for me. I was like, wow, there's other people that don't drink. And, you know, so I worked at a gym and the guys that I worked out with, they didn't drink. If that was my gym friends and they did, those two worlds did not have eggs at all. Um,
0: yeah. So, I mean, e- even though it was tied to like dad and growing up and masculinity or whatnot, you did have examples of friends and male friends who didn't drink.
1: Oh, yeah. They're out there. You know, I don't, but they were just weren't part of who I was going to be, you know? I was like, oh, that was good for them, but not for me. You know, I'm going to keep on drinking. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: tell me more about like how you quit drinking and what was helpful for
1: you. Well, I I think the one thing that was really helpful was, was going through that counseling, having that language that I now had, that was really important. And you really have to make that decision for yourself, you can't make it for my family. I mean, they're, they're going to benefit for this and better off for it. If you're doing it for them, if you're going to do it for the gram, Hey, I'm going to post my sober story. Look, I love it when people share their sober stories, but if your whole point of this is just to have this journey be for anything other than for your own self, I I I really wonder about its lasting power, because um, we are told there's so many lies that I remember hearing just about how you actually value yourself, you know, from like a religious standpoint, and they were completely false. And that's what was so great. I mean, that whole subject on counseling would take up a whole nother episode here. I don't, you know, I don't want to get too into that. But what you are told in this quote-unquote Protestant Christianity is such a bag of bullshit. Well, oh, sorry. Tell, really tell me did. more
0: because, well, f- for those listening, uh, we didn't grow up religious, but you,
1: no, we did.
0: But you f- kind of found religion later I, in life. I,
1: I, I, I did later on in, in college. I Was living with Rob. He always asked me to go to church with him, and one day I did. And I've always been a spiritual curiosity type of guy, you know, I mean, that was, I've always been interested in that kind of stuff, but I really wanted no part with your quote unquote, I'm dressing up and going to church. I knew a lot of those guys because they come out drinking and I knew a lot of them were fake. I think there's one thing in my generation. It's like, I grew up in the skateboard culture when it came out, we were big on no posers. you know. That still bugs me when people put on fronts or posts. I I just, it still bugs me. But, But continuing on, so I never got into religion through religious reasons. I went in there really searching for God, man. And I had no idea that there was religious programming that would be going on and not even really being aware of it. So I went in, I went to, I went to church, but man, I was all about finding God and finding Jesus and and really reading the Bible. And I didn't know about denominations. I had no idea about Catholic Protestant. I had no idea. And after I graduated, I thought, that's the legit person do here. I was like, I want to be a missionary. So, some guy came to our church and said, "Hey, do you want to be a missionary? It's going to be really difficult." And I was like, Like, why are you recruiting for? The- you could have just called me. I would have done. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go." And he goes, "Really?" And I go, "Yeah." So I did it. And during that summer, you know, this is another thing where dad, dad is cool. He was not super on board, but yeah. I remember it was I kind d- of I different. And all of a sudden, I'm changing. I'm not drinking. I remember my friend Jesse, I saw him in the parking lot. And he's like, hey, man, I heard you found Jesus. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. You know, so my life, I mean, it took a big change. And it—and look, and I loved reading the Bible. And I loved my, my I loved how I knew Jesus. And I went on and I did my missionary work. I raised as much money as I could. I didn't raise as much as money as they told me to. And so I just got on a plane and flew down to Florida, and I called them from there. I thought, they're not going to send me home. And so I had the support that I needed, and the support was to help me with living expenses while I was in the country versus out of the country. And I was like, well, shoot, I don't need this much money. I'm not going to be here. And it's like, we're sharing a party with a bunch of dudes. So anyway, I I, I did that whole thing, and I'm going to just speed up this story like a son of a gun here. I did that missionary. I, I was dating this girl who's now my wife. She ran track and she did grow up with a lot of religious programming. I mean, serious programming. And when I came out of that, came back home, a uh, guy that I was going to go work with at the church, he was let go from the church. And I walked across the street, got a job working construction with a guy I knew, Raul. I thought, screw it, I'm not going to process this at all. And what I was taught, what was so appealing to me with this relig- the religious side of it was that, hey, you're a new creation in Christ. And then I was like, awesome. Bright line, I stepped over it, all that stuff from my past. See ya. Don't even have to deal with it. By the way, that's not how this works at all. And then so kind of fast forward, I had some some pretty... Just after I got married, I got really depressed. You know, I went and and I, I joined the Marines. I, I got I got it I went to be an officer and I, and I went through OCS and at the end I was like, man, this isn't me. This isn't me. So I didn't take my commission. And but during that time I came underneath a lot of stress and I found myself disassociating from myself under stress. I was having out-of-body experiences, and I I didn't know what was going on. I had no word for that. I just knew that, like, something's wrong with me, you know? Because when I was operating and I was healthy, I was very present. I, you know, I was a good little candidate. When I left, they were, they, you know, they're like, hey, this isn't. There was a lot of people that dropped on requests that, actually were just turds. They needed to drop. I'm glad that they did. But there was and I'm not saying that I was this greatest candidate, top of my class by no means, but you know, I really did care about my guys that I was with and I really did want to be a good Marine. But I was like, this clearly isn't for me. And there's something fundamentally wrong with me. And I got got went back home and I've only been I've been married less than a year. And I never, never connected with Heather anyway, you know, we just didn't have a good marriage. We didn't fight or anything, but I was wildly depressed and, and so was she really. And it, it came to a point where it was like, we got to get counseling. And then, so when we went to go get counseling. They were like, Hey, we went to get church counseling. You believe in Jesus. She believes in Jesus. Do you pray? I was like, yeah, let's pray more. I was like, man, I must really be awful because this isn't working for me. And it really came down to the last, I don't know. uh, We were each at our wits end and somebody introduces this other counselor. I I think his name was Ed. And went to him, got quite a bit better with him. And the stuff that he was telling me, I was like, no way, no way. And he's like, yeah, he would never let this be along in the church. They wouldn't allow it. And it was a completely different version of Christianity than I ever heard of. And I was like, this seems much, it makes much more sense to me. And then he moved away. And, it, it, but the healing process wasn't done yet. And then so there was another counselor that he recommended and her name is Beth. And she really helped me out and the counseling that Heather and I, we both went to, went to her, but we never went together and it was never called marital counseling, it was just called inner healing. I don't, I don't even know if I had a name of inner healing. We just went in and she talked with us, she prayed with us, but it was something completely different from anything else I've ever experienced. And I wasn't sure exactly what to call this or how to label this, but one of the things that she really helped me with was. Uh, disassociation, you know, person, you know, disorder. And you can be a, on a spectrum on that, And I was on it, but not real heavy, but it's pretty mild. So whenever something stressful would happen to me, I would kind of zone out of it. <laughs> and this isn't just being a little bit detached. This is like, where do you lose your agency? Like you're no longer part of the conversation the situation anymore. You're just, you're, you're, you're out of it. And it's a self-defense that you would have when you're younger, that most people would grow out of it. Pretty sensitive person in that sense and pretty resilient on others. But that part of me never really matured a lot of other parts of me too, but. That was a big part that never really matured. So really understanding that understanding about the identity of, of who I am and, and the idea of talking and forgiving and, and just working that out was fundamental. And it really gave me a language and a hope for who I am and. When I say that it's not a Protestant Christian, you know, bullshit, that's what I mean. I, and there's a lot of churches out there to say, like, hey, you know, your feelings don't mean anything. You just need to move on. There's a duty that you have. You just need to do it. And there's a lot of the gospel that's not even mentioned. And I would have to say, now here where I am, It's much more orthodox, which sounds a little strange to say, but it's something that never hardly ever gets mentioned is about orthodox Christianity. And that seems to me, to me much more in line with some of the counseling that I got and the language that I got of how this actual spiritual side of who we are and and how we walk out this, (laughs) this life that we have. And if you say, like, you believe in God and how this works out with, with Jesus, with Holy Spirit and with God is a completely different conversation that you have than you would have sitting in a Calvinistic, you know, Protestant, very religious programmed environment. So that's, that's, that's the big difference, I would say.
0: Well, I'm glad that you got the help that you needed, and uh, I think that experience of just being told to pray more, I think that does happen to people a lot. And some people who are religious go and and have like a drinking problem, do go to their church first, because when you get brought up in religion, it's like, go get help with church, keep it in the family. Or go get I, help through church. Don't you don't mm-hmm. need any outside help. Like Jesus will save you. So I'm glad that you kept trying and that you did find help and that you're now living by your values.
1: It feels good and it it's um, an amazing. Uh, is it? Amazing. It, it's it's kind of it. I know we throw around that term red. Oh, but it, it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, this is, this is why it helped. It helped the penny drop on a lot of things, a lot of issues I had like with religion, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> this can't be right. We can have this. we could talk about religion. I mean, that's a whole nother topic here, but far as it, it relates to my drinking, I mean, that was a big part of having that internal dialogue within myself to say to myself that I'm worth being sober for, because that person of who you are, sober, is worth knowing. And I don't think people understand just how valuable they are. Not valuable to make bricks and be quote unquote productive, but really, how special you are to who you are, to who God is, and to to even to creation. Around you, you matter. That's That's
0: so, much. and you we matter, matter. your worth. And
1: yeah. yeah, exactly, when you have that kind of, and that when that penny drops for a person, I think it makes the fight that you have to help yourself. It's like effortless effort. It It's it's not going to be easy by no means, but you have that hope that you can persevere through, that it's going to make that sweat lodge worth sitting in for. I still remember, I would do a lot of sauna time and just sweat out stuff, and just I would just be just thinking about these subjects. And it's like, yeah, why? And it really put in front of me a lot of the questions that I had. But the main question that came up was, Why am I doing this? Why is this worth it? And the only answer for me that really was able to replace drinking was because who you are is worth it. And you get on the other side of this and you are going to have some, some pretty deep philosophical, you're going to have some pretty deep, oh, hey man, things when you drink. You just you feel so good when you drink, you know. You're gonna have those sober, and it's gonna be even deeper and more meaningful. And they have been.
0: Yeah, tell me how your life has changed in this last year.
1: Well, I would guess from the outside, it probably doesn't look a whole lot different. If other people were observing me internally, there's this new drive that I have. Going to bed, waking up, I I I have this new urgency in life the time feels different to me that's a big difference i'm like wow i can't believe how much time i spent thinking about drinking drinking and recovering from drinking it, it, oh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs>
0: I mean the bandwidth that it, it takes up in your head it's it's amazing
1: oh yeah yeah. So now I'm I'm really, I mean, the difference now is like, like, okay, I really have some long-term, like, why am I having this business? Okay. Why, why am I now wanting to, like, I'm really looking forward to understanding more about this whole Eastern Orthodox Christianity side of it that gets completely blocked off from our, our conversation about Christianity. I'm like, well, what happened in there? What's the history of that? What did other early people, because they had these questions too. What did they have to say about this? So I'm looking forward to getting into those kind of subject matters. And so that's on the spiritual side, you know, physically, I'm not really interested in running Ironmans or swimming in the lake or, to, you know, doing these kind of things, but I am interested in getting back, maybe back into like a jujitsu practice, uh, a movement practice. I really need. That for my my back, I got a squirrely back, and if I do something physical that helps balance it out, that really helps me. And I like to do something where I can see some progression. So I'm really kind of getting back into not just quote unquote working out, but now it's like training with some real goals ahead of me. And now that I've kind of got past this year, I'm not subjecting myself to so much comfort food. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> Which I think is fine, and like, look, there's times where I just came home from the store with a chocolate cake, and I just ate that cake.
0: Well, I did. I mean, you bring up a good point. Like, the first year is about sobriety and doing everything you can to just keep the momentum, not drink, and then the second year, like you're already talking about, like, how can I grow? You know, now, now that I've got that milestone under my belt, like how can I grow spiritually? How can I grow physically? How can I, you know, just all those different things now?
1: Yeah. yeah I kind of me really are... that, that, oh, yeah, that thing ahead. about, about, about health. I remember in counseling and she was saying, like, you know, where you're, 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 how do you know when you're healthy? It's like, when you're thinking about growing, when, th- when you see growth, I mean, that's, that is health. That's going to also be in a healthy relationship where you're growing closer together. You're planning, you're doing stuff together. It will naturally kind of progress. I mean, it just, it just, it's like that effortless effort. There definitely is discipline involved in this, but it's not a white knuckle.
0: Agreed. Like it, it's worth it. Just like you said, you're worth it. It's worth it. How, how has your relationship changed? With
1: your wife um, and Heather, well, yeah, she she decided to quit drinking too. But she her relationship with alcohol is wildly different than mine. Yeah, um, but it, which really makes it easier. Boy, I can tell in a relationship, especially if it's a long term relationship, and just one side of it decides to go on the sober side of it, mm-hmm. I can see where that would be difficult. Because I'm also seeing the other side of it, which which I'm you know thankfully I'm in. She's like, this is great. I want to quit drinking too. I don't know if she really appreciated how much drinking was within my identity and just how it intervened all parts of me. We grew, Debbie. We we grew up thinking that if you're an alcoholic, you're dead on the street, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never had a term for being like, hey, I I can't. I have an issue with drinking. And it's like a really good virus that doesn't kill you. It still keeps you right in that zone of like, hey, if we take this guy too far down, he may quit on us. Let's just 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 ride the clutch here a little bit, you know
0: <laughs> well, and like you were saying, like you have your own business. you're a you're a cPA. you're an accountant. You're married. You have a kid. You're you know, like, you you don't fit that stereotype of someone who has a problem with drinking.
1: Oh, hey, they'd say that they said the same thing about getting counseling. Like, you go to work, I do. Like, you take care of your daughter, I do. You love your wife, I do. Do you, do you yell at her? Do you hit her? Do you, you know, like, are you abusive? It's like, well, no. There's just, just I'm just telling you, there's, there, I'm telling you, I need help. It's like, well, according to our research, you're doing just fine. So I, no man. Yeah,
0: I do. <laughs> I mean, I did kind of reach out for help or say something to my at my medical appointments and they were like, You're okay. <laughs> because you are you're a mom, you're working as a nurse, like you're fine. Just maybe cut back a little bit. But it it was always oh, yeah. it was, yeah, you're still married. Got any DUIs? No. Okay, you're fine.
1: Um, oh I know. That's another thing I was kind of like 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 you know what? I could it's like I'm surprised I don't have a DUI. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, I don't have a dreaded book, but you drink a couple heavy IPAs and it's like, you're right there, bud.
0: I I agree. Well what what's what's what would you say to people listening and maybe it's a, another man listening and he is like you, you know, maybe he's successful, but he's just like, God, I'm just drinking too much. What should I do? What, what advice would you have?
1: You know, I, I I think what I would say is, man, this is, I mean, we, this is the great thing about people. We're we're all, we're all different and some people can handle it. I I really kind of question that actually, but If somebody really wants to quit or really slow down, I'd say, Hey, try that, try that experiment, that alcohol experiment, get yourself educated. To me, that was the big, the language that you had is so important. And the language I got from counseling and the language that I got from this naked mind, those two things together really helped push this along. Another tool I think is really great is journal stuff out. And this is where it's really difficult being honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. People like say like, I don't lie. I would say like, yeah, you do. You're not honest with yourself. It's impossible to be, I would say, I would say it's impossible for you to be honest with yourself. And that's where it's so valuable to be with a counselor. (laughs) Uh, Especially counselors that will push back on you. Because you'll be talking, I'll be saying stuff, and then all of a sudden I'll just start crying. I mean, like, where in the world is this coming from? And it's like, oh, I don't believe that. I've been lying to myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you start turning over those false beliefs about who you are and I bet you dollars to donuts you're gonna have it you're gonna you're gonna see something in there about who you are and again I bet you dollars to donuts that you that you are seeing alcohol is getting away getting in the way of that person of who you really are I know that some people can modulate but man if you're to the point where you're really seriously asking questions about this I bet you dollars to donuts you could be on that road of malaise for the rest of your life and you may not ever hit those bumpers but again that alcohol is going to be like a virus it not going to quite kill you it's just going to keep you moving along but do those steps to look at And to see who you really are and if you need help doing that, do it and be honest with yourself and I bet you dollars to donuts, who you are is not going to be compatible with alcohol and then when you see that, you're going to have a decision to make, is it you or is it alcohol? And then when it comes down to that, that's on you. And you need to make that choice. And when you choose you, the student is now ready and those resources around you will start coming to you and say yes to those resources when they come to you, that'd be my advice to them.
0: I think that's great advice. Just. And and I think that's a good point. If you're listening to this podcast or you're asking the question, then get some help. Take a break. Do 30 days. Reach out. I mean, there are so many resources now. And just see what your life is like without it. And like you said, it is like a, a virus that's not going to kill you. It's just going to make you feel pretty shitty for just underscore shittiness.
1: Yeah, it applies nice to. It really does. I mean, there's I haven't read that book, but how alcohol lied to me. I mean, mm-hmm. alcohol will lie to you, man. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing and coming on the show.
1: Yeah, man. Proud of you. You had
0: a I podcast. Proud of you. Coming and thanks the- for You're your support. It. What'd I you know. say?
1: You're doing it.
0: You too. I I appreciate you. Chris would always call me after the show each week and be and just talk. It was just nice to have someone to talk to that was just going through the same things. And I appreciate your support. And I'm so so proud of you. And I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of people just to know they can change their drinking. And It's better on the other side.
1: It really, yeah, it is.
0: If someone wants to find you, how could they find you?
1: Instagram is probably the nicest way to get a hold of me because it just seems like there's a lot more friendly people out there. I check it fairly often because I'm interested in dudes fixing up pickup trucks and jujitsu. (laughs) So if you you want like
0: an Idaho, if you need an Idaho guy, guy's guy to connect with. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'll link, I'll link to your Instagram account and y'all can, if you want to connect with Chris, you can always email me too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. Please share and review the show so you can help other people too. I want you to know I'm always here for you. So please reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point and check out my website, AlcoholTippingPoint.com for free resources and help. No matter where you are on your drinking journey, I want to encourage you to just keep practicing. Keep going. I promise you are not alone and you are worth it. Every day you practice not drinking is a day you can learn from. I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, talk to you next time.